if you need help, ask for it. And if you don't get the help that you're looking for, that might be pretty eye-opening until the kind of culture of the place that you're working at. Hey, welcome back to That Vet Life. So you've heard of well-being, right? What if I told you that it doesn't mean what you think it does? Well, today's guest, Dr. Danielle Alleman, is here to help us better understand this rapidly evolving term and how you can utilize it in your life as a veterinary professional. Danielle is the founder of Empathos Veterinary Wellness and as a coach and speaker has dedicated herself to empowering veterinarians who are feeling uncertain, weary, and broken grow into the confident, dynamic, and incredible doctors they're meant to be. I left this conversation feeling inspired and uplifted, and I hope you will too. So with that, let's jump into today's episode. So today I really want to dive into this whole idea of well-being, essentially. I know on Instagram, on social media, we hear it all the time things that we need to look out for, things we need to be taking care of as veterinarians, as veterinary students. But I feel like we don't define it very well. And I know you do that extremely well on your account. And part of the reason like that you developed it was because of your own personal experiences with burnout. And that's why you're like, hey, I want to help these future vets, these future vet students, and kind of coach them through it. So through your experiences, I guess, let's look at the one question of like, what do people think well-being is? Yeah. So I know for the longest time, I had a a hard time defining it because I feel like there's a lot out there that talks about well-being in kind of all like the context of like fluff. (laughs) So like, you know, well-being is like, you know, getting a massage or getting a facial or getting your nails done or like making time to take bubble baths and that kind of thing. And while that's all super important and lovely and like really nice things to do for yourself, for me, it just seemed like another thing that I need to put on my already really long to-do list. And then if I wasn't doing those things, then I kind of felt guilty, right? Because like, I'm not a well person. I'm not a well-rounded person because I don't have time to especially as a new grad or a vet student to like go out and do all these things and like pamper myself. And Mm -hmm. so it just for a while, well-being to me was just like this extra thing that was seemed really unattainable and not really realistic. And so the more time that went on and going through vet school, I feel like looking back, I think I, it's always hard to say, like, I think my first year in practice was kind of a, an eye opener to be like, okay, this is the real deal. I'm out, I'm doing it. And this is not what I thought it would be. I'm still, you know, you think of like vet school, like I'm going to study really, really hard and then graduate. And then it's all going to be better. And like, it just didn't feel, it didn't feel better. And I think it's because I didn't have those fundamentals of like, what well being and balance really looked like for me. And I think it's different for everybody. But I think it's also important to like redefine well-being as like like going to get your nails done is nice, but also so is like going to the dentist or like saving for, you know, an emergency fund or seeing a therapist if you need to, making sure that you're making time to like connect with family and friends, like all of mm-hmm. those more tangible things too. You know, there's a lot more than just the the extra things on the to-do list. It's like, what is going to help me as an individual thrive so I can keep doing what I'm doing? And that looks different for everybody. But 
that definition for me just feels a little bit more like, okay, yeah, I just need to like take care of myself to be a human because like, you know, our jobs are, are taking care of our clients and patients all day. And so we just need to make sure that we're also taking care of ourselves Mm -hmm. so that the cycle can continue. Yeah, absolutely. And as you're saying all of this, I'm like, okay, so initially what people think of as well-being is just being like this simple, like five point list, do these things, you'll be happy, everything will be capiche. When in actuality, the way that you're describing it is that like well-being actually has multiple facets. So you were talking about like like your emotional well-being, your physical well-being, your financial well-being. Mm-hmm. And those are just three of them. I mean, there's there's a multitude of them. But it's just really important that we're able to say, yes, these other things are like they're good and nice and everything, but they're not actually what is going to bring you true well-being. And also letting people know that well, taking care of your well-being doesn't mean that everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows and unicorns all the time. It just means that you're going to have the tools and the skills necessary so that you can actually have like actual satisfaction. I, I'm trying to think of like a better word to, to use, but in your not just only in your personal life, but in your your career as a veterinarian. So, what kind of other facets would you add to that list? So, other than like emotional, physical, financial, like what other facets would you add to that list? Yeah. So one of my favorite exercises I like to do for myself every once in a while, and also that I'll use for people that I help coach is it's something called the wellness wheel. So, oh, I should see if I can pull it up, but there's basically, it's like a pie chart wheel and it has like seven or eight different dimensions of wellness that kind of make up a person. And there's like little tick marks. The best way to do it is kind of color in each little slice of the pie on a scale of one to 10 of like how satisfied you feel in that area of your life. And so there is, you know, like physical wellness, emotional wellness, there's like social, occupational, your environment, financial, and there might be another one too. But it's kind of nice to look at it all and be like, oh yeah, I am like all of these things contribute to how I feel every day. I know for me, I'm a really visual person. And so when I fill in my wheel, you know, you're going slice by slice and you're like, oh, maybe this is a three and maybe this is a seven and maybe this is a six. And then you can look at it and see like, does your wheel have like a flat side or it kind of gives you a visual representation of like what's going well and what's not going well. And not to say that everybody is like trying to achieve a 10 out of 10 in every area, because that's just not realistic. But if you see this big dip in your wheel, it's like that area of my life might need a little bit more attention right now. And that's going to change day by day, week by week, month by month, you know, whatever kind of space of life you're in, like some things are going to be going well, better than others. But also, it's a good kind of thing to look at and be like, where do I need to direct my attention? Mm-hmm. And like show a little bit extra like love and care to this area of my life. That's a really cool idea. I like that. So it literally gives you that visual representation. That's awesome. And for me, there's something about it being on a piece of paper as a circle to look at. Like, I remember I did it kind of in the middle of COVID. And like everybody else, like we weren't doing a lot of things socially, but we were all working a lot, right? So it was like pretty easy for me to be like, work is the source of all of my stress because that's the only thing I'm doing, right? And so I filled out the wheel and I realized that like, if I was kind of grading the things on occupational wellness, like those numbers were like, okay. But if I wanted to like rate my like family, friends and social pie pieces, they were super duper low because we were all super isolated. And it was like, actually, instead of blaming work for all of my 
like frustrations, maybe I should like connect with friends, like reconnect with people I haven't talked with for a while. Mm -hmm. And that actually helps a lot more because I don't know, something about that for me has always been really helpful. And it's, it's a good exercise to do every once in a while, just because yeah, Mm -hmm. we're multidimensional people. Mm -hmm. And just remembering, like you said, you have to do it not just once, but you do have to constantly check in with yourself and be like, okay, what are the areas in my life right now that are doing really well and the areas that maybe aren't as great? And Mm -hmm. that doing that constant kind of check in is super important for actually finding your well-being, finding the sources of it. And then also just, I feel like we kind of touched on like a little bit of work-life balance in that little bit of conversation there. And the fact that there is no balance. It does not exist. No, it doesn't exist. Yeah. I like to use the word symbiosis when it comes to these type of things, because there is no balance. It's not like you're ever going to find that perfect tipping point. I mean, some days like work is going to take over and some days life is going to take over. And let's be real. It's not even like a two-sided balance. It's like one of those wobble boards (laughs) where you can go any direction. (laughs) Yeah. Like work-life harmony or work-life symbiosis. Like I feel like those are better terms. I feel like everyone's out there in like the search of the perfect term of like, what does it even mean? Because it is hard (laughs) to define. It's And you're right. Like some things are going to be better than others on any given day. But as long as I think the biggest thing is like being aware that those different areas exist. Like if you're totally blind to the fact that like financial wellness or social or like one of those categories, if you're not even really aware it exists, you can't even know that it might be going wrong. And then you can't give it some extra like love and attention. Like I think even just talking about being aware of all of these different areas in your life is like most of the battle, right? It's like just knowing that they're there. Mm Mm-hmm. Now that we've defined a little bit more of like what well-being is and part of how we can and look forward to attaining it, like let's put it into the two categories that we have of like vet students, because obviously the stressors that they're going through are different than what they're going to go through in their first year of practice. Mm -hmm. So if you like as a veterinary student, like what do you think are the areas of well-being that they maybe struggle in a little bit more? I would say vet students. I know personally for me, it was making sure that I still took time to do things outside of just studying. So I feel like that's your, or clinics too, right? Like devoting everything you have to the task at hand and that's vet school. And kind of, I know I kind of neglected other relationships in my life, myself, the kind of in general, just like me allowing myself to rest, which kind of like makes me think of the other thing, which is like, it's very easy to compare yourself to others in vet school of what is everybody else doing? How much is everybody else studying? What kind of grades is this person trying to get? You know, where are they trying to get in their career compared to me? I think that makes it hard. You're, you're surrounded by a bunch of really, really brilliant people and it's hard to not play the comparison game. And so being aware making sure you're still taking time for yourself, making sure you're still nourishing those relationships that you have outside of school is important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then how, where would you say transitioning into that first year practice, where do those gaps, like where does that shift to for those first year vets? Yeah, I think it, it becomes, <laughs> they teach you in vet school that like vet school is a marathon and not a sprint, which I definitely agree with as far as like pacing yourself. But then when you talk about like the long term, like your entire career, Vet school was something that had an end 
and it had an end within four years or like, you know, finish the semester, finish this exam, like until this exam, get through until graduation, like clinics are finite, like all of that. And then you get out and practice. And I feel like a lot of us are hardwired to want to give everything that we have to our clients and patients and job and that kind of thing. And I know that's the first time I experienced burnout was like, I just didn't realize that something would have to change, right? Because now I'm not trying to make it through four years. I'm trying to make it through 40. Yeah. And that looks different. (laughs) And the things that served me in vet school of, you know, picking up lots of extra opportunities and responsibilities and things like that, like maybe aren't going to serve me as well as a new grad. And so kind of learning how do I balance this career that I really Mm want to love and I really want to keep doing long-term with everything else. Like now, you know, you get to be, we've been in school for most of us, like our whole lives up until now, until you graduate. Right. And then now you're like, I'm out in the world and I'm a person and I'm making money and maybe I'm supposed to like also make friends and have a social life, like all of this, like, oh my gosh, I get to start life now. But what does that look like? Mm -hmm. while also trying to balance a career that's like very new and often very stressful and overwhelming. I think absolutely, it it comes into like, it's like the long game at that point. Like, how do I make this something sustainable that I can do for decades Mm -hmm. to come? And honestly, as you're saying that, as someone who's now going into my second year of practice, oh gosh, I can't believe I'm saying that. (laughs) Um, It's been that long. I'm honestly like, oh my gosh, she sees me. Like you were Uh pretty much saying exactly what I went through in that first year out in that like you do finish vet school and vet school always had like timestamps. It was like end of the year, end of the semester, end of the rotation. Like there was always an end in sight. And now like literally I launched into practice and it was like, all right, every single day I'm learning. It's just a huge curve. Like just got to keep powering through, keep giving everything that I can so that I can learn so I can become a great veterinarian. But also at the same time, I'm like, okay, I practiced in vet school that being a vet wasn't the only thing for me. And I tried to balance everything. But now I'm in real life. And like, how do I do that? How do I put that into practice? How do I have a social life, A, as a new veterinarian in a place I've never lived during COVID where I can't go and meet people really? So how am I going to balance the social aspect of my life? How am I going to balance the self-care aspect of, of my life? And it just kind of like, I definitely hit a wall at one point where I was like, how do I maintain this? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I actually turn this into a marathon? And not just the marathon where you hit like halfway through and you're like, I'm done. This is no longer fun. Yeah. But the marathon (laughs) where you're like, this is an awesome run or an awesome cycle. And you just want to keep going. Like, that's the kind of marathon that I want to strive for. But it took me a really long time to figure out what that actually meant for me as an individual. Because again, COVID changes everything. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. um, but that's seriously like everything you said there. I was like, wow, that's exactly what I went through my first year out in practice was transitioning from student mindset where everything had a, a timestamp and an end to real practice where there isn't like there isn't a timestamp. There isn't a ending point that is in the near future. So how do I make this sustainable. I guess that would be a good word for it. It's like finding sustainability in your well-being so that you don't hit a point of burnout. And I feel like now is a good time to define like burnout in a way because in my mind, there's at least two main categories of burnout. There's like So there's like the burnout where we think of where you're like, this is it. I'm done with this career. I want to change everything. 
But then there's also like on the daily type of burnout that we can mm-hmm. experience where like you get into your car at the end of the day and you feel like you've been hit by a bus and you're yep. just like want to <laughs> fall asleep in that exact moment. And it's just because your brain finally went, whew, thank God I can calm down now. <laughs> like I can actually like let go of the stress of the whole day. So that's at least what I think of in my own mind for burnout. But from your experience and from actually like working with students and veterinarians, like what is burnout? Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at VetX. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our VetX community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetxinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. Yeah, so there's a whole lot of good ways to define it, but I really just like the the definition of thinking about the state of like physical, mental, and the biggest one is emotional exhaustion. And kind of what you said, like I think both of those are burnout. Like there's the end of a long day where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't possibly give one more ounce of myself to anybody or anything right now. Like I'm so exhausted. And then like, I know a lot of people can probably relate when you like get home from work and you're like, I don't even know what to make for dinner. Cause I just, I don't have any decisions left in me. Like, yeah, I have nothing left. There's that. But then there's also just the, I think realistically was what happens is you have so many of those days in a row and you're maybe not even aware that that's not normal. <laughs> that then, <laughs> Wait, what? then we <laughs> end up, at that end stage where you're like, everything is terrible. I'm done. I'm completely and totally burnt out. Like, I think that there's a spectrum of, you know, I'm working a little too hard. Things are kind of getting out of balance for me. Like things are getting a little bit uncomfortable. And then we let that go for a long time. And then you, you end out at like complete exhaustion. That's hard to kind of overcome. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was, I was always thinking about like, first of all, I think it took me a while to realize that what I was experiencing was burnout and not cynicism. I feel like particularly in this profession, sometimes we're like, oh yeah, you're out for a few years and you just get cynical. And it's like, I mean, no though, like you get cynical because you're so tired and you're so (laughs) emotionally exhausted that you just can't with people or patients or your coworkers. Like you're just so that's a little bit of an aside, but yeah, I feel like it It took a while for me to realize that I was experiencing burnout. And I think kind of knowing yourself and knowing when you're going down that path, because the whole point, like, I feel like when I first learned about it, I was like, how do we prevent it? Because I never want to experience burnout again. You know, it's happened to me this many times. And how can I make it so that it, it never happens again? And, and now I've kind of shifted to, you know, days or weeks of burnout not might like will happen to me again. I know that like, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us are, 
are really hard workers and really high achievers. And we're going to like work, work, work because it's something that we like to do. But the more that you can become aware of when am I tipping the scales into like doing too much, having too much on my plate, Mm -hmm. becoming completely overwhelmed. For me, it's that feeling of like things are out of control and I feel really overwhelmed that I'm like, wait, stop, reel it in to prevent like continuing down that kind of spectrum of burnout where you kind of end at like complete exhaustion because that complete exhaustion is often when people think about leaving the field, right? They're like, I don't want to do vet med anymore Mm -hmm. when there's probably been, you know, weeks, months, years prior to that where that's been cumulative. Yeah. 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 So it looks like there's like two main areas that we have to focus on then. There's like the identification of, yes, I am going through burnout of of some sort, which, I mean, you're right. There's always going to be times where you're going to finish the end of the day and you're just going to be tired. And that's just, it is honestly, you have to give that much. It's part of the profession. Mm -hmm. But what's not part of it and what is not sustainable is doing that every single day, every single week, every single month until you literally have nothing left in your cup at all to give. Mm -hmm. So that's the part that's not normal. Having occasional days, normal. That can be sustainable. You can replenish from that. Having it cumulative is not. But I feel a lot of people, and actually I was talking with some first-year graduates about this, they were like, we don't know how to identify it that we're going through this. And they actually said what you said. They were like, we don't know if it's burnout or am I just a first-year new grad and I just don't want to get up and out of bed in the morning? Like, mm-hmm. like, what's the difference there? So trying to figure out a way to define that for like each person as an individual, I feel is very, very difficult and very, very niche and probably a bit deeper than we can go in our allotment of time here today. But the other part of that then is so you have to identify it. And then it's like, what do you do about it? Like, how Mm -hmm. do you actually then advocate for your well-being like in vet school and in your first year out in practice? So let's focus on that that second part um, a little bit more. And maybe in another episode, we can go into the identification yeah. of burnout. So we've talked about what well-being is. We've talked about how to evaluate it a little bit. So in vet school, like it's so hard to advocate for your well-being because you have like five or six different rotations and you have all your professors that you have to get, like you have to study for that exam. Mm-hmm. You have to take that quiz. You have to be in that lab. Like, how would you recommend for vet students to actually advocate for their well-being? And like, what does that look like? Yeah, I do think in vet school, it is a little bit harder because you're right. Like at the end of the day, there are grades and there are exams and there are boards at the end of it all, right? Like you do have to, sometimes it's not sometimes, it's uncomfortable. Like vet school is just uncomfortable. It's really hard, right? So advocating for yourself, I think is a little bit more difficult. The beautiful thing about vet school, I guess, is that you're surrounded by people that are all going through the same thing that you are. And you're also surrounded by lots and lots of mentors, professors, clinicians, that kind of thing. So I think sometimes people are, if they're struggling in some way, really afraid to ask for help because it makes them seem like they're weak or something like that. Or I know even for me early on in vet school, I felt really self-conscious about expressing the fact that I wasn't having a great time, right? Like, I just felt so guilty that I had worked and gotten into vet school and and gotten this really competitive slot. And then I, when I was having a hard time, I was like, no, but I should be so elated to be here. And if I didn't feel that way, that I was some sort of failure. And so I was afraid to tell other people like, hey, I'm, I'm having a really hard time. So that took some time to overcome. 
Mm-hmm. And then actually, when it turns out, like when if you start talking to your friends and colleagues, like a lot, if you feel some way, there's a good chance that a lot of other people are going to be feeling that way too. So I feel like in vet school, advocating for yourself looks like talking to friends, classmates, things like that, like being brave enough to be vulnerable and being like, I'm really stressed out. I'm really overwhelmed. I'm really having a hard time with this particular thing. And sometimes all it takes is like validation from another person to be like, me too. And suddenly there's like this exhale of like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. (laughs) (laughs) Even that, you could consider that advocating is just Mm -hmm. like speaking up. And then also, you know, you're surrounded by people that, you know, mentors, clinicians, things like that, that want to see you do well. And so if there's something that, you know, Mm -hmm. you think that they could help with, or you're not even sure if they could help with, like, don't be afraid to ask for help because I think more people are willing to give help than maybe you would think, or maybe they lead on or that kind of thing. And it's, it does mm-hmm. seem really scary, but often, you know, nobody regrets asking. You okay. often get the, the help you mm-hmm. are looking for, I think. And I feel like vet schools are doing a lot better about providing resources in that respect. Because I feel like even when I first started vet school, it was still a bit of a like a murmur to be like, oh, how do we help these vet students? They should just be able to figure it out on their own, right? Now we have a lot more, like we have social clubs. Um, I know AVMA, uh, SAVMA offers a lot more assistance that way. And just opportunities for students to be like, again, to kind of provide that validation to say, you know what, this stuff is hard. This is not going to be an easy step one, two, three. So making it okay to be like, you know what, if you're not okay in this little area of your life, like say something about it. It's not a bad thing. Because on the one hand, like learning how to advocate for your well-being and advocating for yourself in vet school is what will allow you to practice those skills for when you launch out into the real world, into the veterinary life. Yeah. So taking the opportunity, like it, it doesn't have to be anything big. It can literally be like, I'm just having a crappy week. I don't know why. I just feel kind of down or I'm just struggling with some motivation. It doesn't have to be a big, big, serious thing to ask mm-hmm. for help and remembering that as well. But again, that's it's all practice for when you become a veterinarian. So then let's transition that into how do you advocate and what does it look like to advocate for your well-being in your practice? So you're like the new veterinarian, you're the low man on the totem pole, like, and suddenly, not suddenly, probably it's been cumulative that you're just kind of struggling and feeling so exhausted all the time in your job. How do you advocate for your well-being at that point? Yeah, I feel like it's a lot of the the same things with maybe a little bit tweaked. So same kind of thing, you know, asking for help. Often our mentors, bosses, management, you can feel like you're really overwhelmed and struggling and feeling like, why doesn't anybody see that I'm having such a hard time and I'm taking so much longer to do appointments or or whatever, right? Like, why is nobody offering me? But often people don't know you're going through a hard time unless you tell them, especially other clinicians when you're out in your first job, that kind of thing. So For that, I feel like as a new grad, advocating for yourself looks like having a really open line of communication with the people that you work with, particularly managers, bosses, or ideally you have some sort of mentor to be like, hey, I'm having a hard time and they should hopefully be able to to provide some insight Mm -hmm. or at least be like, you'd be amazed at the amount of 
times that I have personally walked into, you know, management office of a clinic that I work at. And I'm like, Hey, this thing is going on and I'm having a hard time. Or these people seem to be having a hard time. And the response is like, we had no idea. Thank you for telling me. Mm -hmm. So people don't know that they can help you unless you tell them that you need help. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like that's One big thing, I feel like if someone hired a new grad, they probably have some inkling that they were going to need some assistance in their first couple of years in practice. I think it would be pretty naive to think that you can just like put a new grad in a clinic and then like off running, there you go. Granted, I know that there are clinics (laughs) out there that maybe think that. Yeah, they try to. (laughs) They try to just be like, you know, stick you in a situation and be like, go run free. But (laughs) most of the time... I feel like if you hired a new grad, you kind of knew what you were getting yourself into. And that is that new grads should have lots of questions. They should need help. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of the basis of a good kind of mentorship relationship Mm -hmm. is like, right? Like getting getting the support you, you need. Because it is kind of confusing and scary. And that's you know, managing your cases is one thing. And then there's also like, how do I manage learning how to communicate? How do I manage what I am okay with or not okay with when it comes to clients? How do I manage being a young veterinarian with maybe assistants or technicians who have been doing this a lot longer than me? Like, Mm -hmm. how do I, there's a lot of things that you all of a sudden get thrown into and I think advocating for yourself in all of those kind of realms looks a little bit different, but I would say the Mm -hmm. same kind of thing. Like if you need help, ask for it. And if you don't get the help that you're looking for, that might be pretty eye-opening until the kind of culture of the place that you're working at. People Mm -hmm. should be there to help you out. Yeah. And I guess like there. Yeah, absolutely. We've all kind of been there. And oh, I feel like I can never really go through an episode without talking about mentorship. I'm like, I have to talk yeah. about it. Again, it kind of comes down to when you're looking for that first job, that clinic culture is incredibly important. And of course, clinic culture, whole separate topic. Yeah, I could go on for hours. <laughs> but um, like as a new grad, like that was one thing that I was so dead set on was having a solid mentor and having a solid clinic culture that was supportive, that wanted to see everybody else succeed. Because I know there are practices where honestly, where like clinicians don't talk to each other about cases. Mm -hmm. They don't really want to, they just want to go in, do the work and leave. And in some respects, that can be nice. But a lot of times as a new grad, it's so important where you have an open line of communication with your mentor, with your colleagues, with all the support staff, with the management, just so because like you are a new grad, you're going to need help, not just on a medical side, but on a human side. Yeah, this is a whole new world. It's not vet school. It's not the ivory tower. It's just an entirely different situation. And to think that you're going to launch into it and be completely okay on yourself is honestly a little bit naive. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> like, I'm going to say it like it's a little bit naive to just think <laughs> that you can handle it all. So if you are a fourth year vet student and you're starting to look at jobs, don't just think about the medical side of things. Like, please be thinking about what kind of questions you can ask your future employer that relates to well-being and relates to mental health and actually a sustainability in your career. Like, honestly, you're going to be more valuable to them if you stay there longer and if you're happier too. So it's mm-hmm. it's a two-way street. But that's my little TED talk on that little subject. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> oh, dear. 
This has been like, honestly, so many things that you're saying. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been through that. I've experienced (laughs) that. She's literally like saying exactly what it's been like to be a new grad vet. So as we land the plane here for today's episode, we've talked a lot about like the whole idea, like what is well-being? What is burnout? What does it look like to evaluate all of these things? And then, well, advocating for your well-being as a vet student, as a veterinarian. And there are so much more, so much more that we could go on <laughs> about in this episode. But we will we'll kind of wrap it up here by saying, Daniel, thank you so much for coming to chat about this. I feel like we've sparked off a lot of different conversations. And so if for anybody who's listening, I really encourage you guys, if you have any questions, any thoughts on any of this, message myself, message Danielle, because we would love to chat further about it as well. But Danielle, I guess we'll wrap it up by saying, I'm going to put you on the spot here. What would be the one big piece of advice that you would like to give to, we're going to focus on vet students here. So what's one piece of advice that you would like to give vet students relating to advocating for their well-being? I think it would be, it's it's sort of related to advocating for your well-being, but defining success on your own terms, even in vet school, I think will be I wish that that's something that I did. I think the comparison game that I played with myself and my classmates just made vet school a lot more difficult. I made it harder on myself, right? Like my self-critic was loud and proud because I was so busy defining success based on other people's definitions rather than my own. And I I wish I had just kind of sat back and been like, you know what? This is what I want to do these are my priorities. These are my goals and values. And I'm going to live by them and be okay with it. That would be something I would Mm -hmm. say, like, you know, you're on your path. Um, Ask for help when you need it. But, Mm -hmm. but like, yeah, defining, defining success on your own terms, I feel like is something that I wish that I had done Mm -hmm. as a student. I think that's, No, those are words to live by. Honestly, we think about so much about how uh, like we measure our success by others, but we rarely we rarely remember to really focus on what does that mean for us as an individual. So um, I really hope that students, you guys take that to heart. And of course, she has Danielle has so much more information, like go and check her out on her Instagram um, Adam Papo's vet. Um, but Daniel, thank you so, so much again for chatting with me today. Um, and until next time, um, for everybody who's looking for information on Danielle, you can find it in the show notes here, but until next time, y'all see ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life. <laughs>